0: Well, we're going to turn to God's Word now in Isaiah, chapter 42. If you're using the Church Bibles, it's page 727. And as I read this, I want you in your mind to think about the Lord Jesus. And if you can, try to picture Him. Because this is a prophetic word some 700 years before the birth of the Lord Jesus is referred to as the servant, the servant king, as it begins building up a momentum from the New Testament. Isaiah 42. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations is what God the Lord says. He who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and all that comes out of it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open the eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place, and new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. And that's God's word to us as we think of this Advent season. And we're using some of these uh, pictures, if you like, and promises and uh, prophetic words to point to this Advent time. In Isaiah's prophecy, this is the first of a series of what's called servant songs. And the songs build up to a momentum that almost seems to be an anticlimax when you get to Isaiah 53 and you see something of uh, the sorrow and the rejection and the servant being forsaken and despised. And it seems such a contradiction. As these prophecies unfold, one thing, even the scholars of the Old Testament and the cynics who love to read the Bible are convinced of this, that it is messianic. It's pointing to someone other than the events that were taking place 700 years before the birth of Jesus. It is a prophecy unfolding, an age that is to come and a saviour who is to redeem. For example, at his birth, you get this affirmation all the time. This, this child that is born, you, you will call him Jesus because there is a reason. He will save his people from their sin. That's what he's about. He comes as a saviour. At his baptism. His cousin, John, sees him knowing the climax of this prophetic uh, momentum. He says, look, behold, see, there's the Lamb of God. He takes away the sin of the world. And then there is this uh, strange enigmatic encounter between John and Jesus. And Jesus says, I want to be baptized. He says, no way. How can I? I couldn't even, I couldn't even undo your sandals. He must increase, I must decrease he is everything, I am nothing and that's not hyperbole, he means that he knows because he is the saviour and throughout his life grace and truth comes through Jesus Christ as a conduit to people who are in need in different places at different times and then at his death, a strange uh, phrase that is used Just as he's going through Golgotha, the disciples are troubled, rightly so. He's going to die, they can't understand that. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe me. Father's house are many rooms. I go to prepare a place for you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives. This is a different kingdom. It's a different world. And then his last words. Looking back down the corridor of time now is uh, saying, it's finished. It's not, it's over. It's finished in that it's complete and this is the beginning of something quite momentous. The servant whom I love. And that's what you find in Isaiah. And then we come to the resurrection and the glory of the ascension. And it's interesting, isn't it, that Mary is the first at the grave and Jesus says, why are you looking living among the dead I'm alive and what you get in Isaiah then if we come back to that as we try just briefly to trace the life of Jesus and link it to Advent and Christmas is this that he's actually the cosmic Christ he's global he's eternal and Yes, it's a word to the Jewish nation who are exclusive and opinionated and said, you of all people are going to be a light to the nations and a light to the Gentiles, the Gentiles. And so you see, let me read you then with that in mind, let's flash back to Isaiah 42. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. His law, in his law, the islands will put their hope. And in verse 6, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant. Can you imagine that? This contract, this agreement, ratified through his death as a light to the Gentiles. It's quite humbling, isn't it? So, he's your saviour as you trust him he's your light as you follow him he's your hope as you put your trust and confidence in him and that is the glory of christmas the problem and the challenge is if you like that often christmas is seen in isolation to all of this isolated and it's out of context and it becomes rather meaningless so with that introduction and uh, very briefly this morning let me try to put christmas in the foreground and to say yes i can see that that's an interesting summary that's then that's now and it's 2012 let's step back for a moment to all of that let's come into somebody's home it's 2012 a little boy he is impatient Advent teaches us to wait. He wants to open all the Advent uh, calendar in one day. That's our society, isn't it? We want it, and we want it now. Everything encourages us to think like that. Well, there he is, and he says to his mother, Mum, I know that Christmas is the birthday of Jesus, isn't it? She says, yes. He says, I know Jesus would want me to have a new bicycle for Christmas. And she was a thoughtful Christian lady and said, I don't think you should G- use Jesus' birthday as an excuse to get a bicycle. You're not having one. Well, he went to school. And as his mum was working, she noticed that, you know how some people have what they call the holy family. The, uh, Mary, Joseph, uh, the crib, Jesus, and sometimes other um, cattle and animals around. And to her surprise, she noticed somebody wasn't there. Mary was missing. And in place of Mary was a note, a note written, as she discovered when she read it, by the handwriting of her son. And um, it said this, let me quote it to you. Yes. Where is it? Yes, here it is. As she opened this piece of paper, this is what she read. Yes, here it is. I I knew it was here. Dear Jesus, if you want to see your mum again, make sure I get my bike on Christmas Day. (laughs) Now, isn't that very naughty? But, you know, it's a bit Christmassy, isn't it? I don't know what happened after that event. I'm sure it would be a very... He had Mary in his pocket and he wasn't... To let her go until he got what he wanted. And he says, we, we're a bit like that, aren't we? You know, on my terms, it's, it's about me, isn't it? Christmas is about me. I mean, it's what I want, and it and doesn't matter as long as I, I get it. And it's rather crass and pitiful, and uh, it's not what we're about. Here is God the Father speaking through the Holy Spirit, saying about his Son, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. He has something for you. He is the very essence of Christmas. So let's resolve, and it's only the third Sunday in Advent, let's resolve now in a way to get our momentum, not the media, not, not all the, uh, the paraphernalia that's linked to Christmas. And particularly for parents, it's a big pressure, I appreciate that. But let's resolve to say, yes, it's going to be a good, it's going to be a happy Christmas. And, and it begins with the big C. It's about Christ. He's, he's the Messiah. He's the Lord. That's his name. It's about him. I want us to consider four C's to refocus Christmas eh, quite briefly. But uh, as we do... Um, let me give you some uh, of a, a statistics as to the context in which we try to think of this. Uh, in seven days running up to Christmas, Asda estimates that it will have sold, listen to this, 750,000 tons of Christmas pudding. Almost gives you indigestion just to hear that, doesn't it? Uh, And they say, well, what does that mean? You know, it's just a figure, isn't it? Well, so they say, that is 1,876 jumbo jets. That gives you a little different perspective. What about this? For gardeners. Marks and Spencer estimate it will sell more than 500 tons of sprouts. Can you imagine? I don't like sprouts. I'm amazed... 500 tons of sprouts over the Christmas period. That is as heavy as 125 double-decker buses, sprouts. Tesco's, with Christmas crackers, they, if they were laid one end to the other, they would stretch 3,082 miles the length of the United Kingdom. And you just picture that? United Kingdom surrounded by Christmas crackers. And you know Buckinghamshire County Council have got this strap line that says, let's talk rubbish. It's a good line because they're recycling and there's money in rubbish. And I, I think all credit to them when you think about um, the recycling that, that they are doing. Okay, then, in that context, over Christmas, the UK population will consume almost 5.5 million jars of mincemeat, 12 million jars of pickles, 6.5 million jars of cranberry sauce, all packaged in glass, in jars. But only a small percentage of the glass will get recycled. Now, this is the... The the follow on. And if all these glass jars were recycled, they would save enough energy to boil 60 million cups of tea. Are you the better for knowing all that? (laughs) I think we should stop there. But um, it does give you a perspective that here we are looking at an obscure passage in Isaiah. And you say, and yes, and it's into this context of this consumerism That we are engulfed with unless we say, I am resolved not to be part of that. In a sense that I want this Christmas to be centered upon Christ. Openness and sharing and have a real sense of his glory and grace. Okay then, let's look quickly at these uh, four C's. Number one, the cradle. It really is about Jesus coming, isn't it? God so loved the world. You can look at Isaiah 42 in the New Testament, John 3:16, that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And you know, like tomorrow evening, it's quite extraordinary. There'll be hundreds of people in the village square, if, if last year's anything to go by. And we'll be singing these great carols. And as far as I can tell, some of the people whom I know just just don't do church, as they say. And yet we'll be singing some of these glorious carols that have the very heart of it, the message of the gospel. What a great thing it is to pray that his light, that that it will be a light to the Gentiles in village, squares and towns throughout the country. The sheer wonder and the glory of them. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth, mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. What a message is that? It's about the coming of Jesus and that the very centre of this birth is the promise of a Saviour. Not, as that song was saying, in the luxury and splendour of a King, but in a humble manger, stooping so low and lifting us so high. That's the glory of Christmas. And... There's nothing wrong with being sentimental up to a point. But can you imagine? There's one or two folk who are expecting babies here. Okay, going to, you know, a shed. and It's cold and drafty and it's not all that nice. And and you who've just seen your wives giving birth in, in clinical surroundings, where would you rather be? Be honest. We're far too sentimental about that. That's the coming of Jesus. He's one with us. It's not a plastic Jesus. It's personal. It's real. Secondly, then the cross. It's linked to it. The shadow of the cross was there. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't a change of schedule, redirecting. It was there from the beginning. You'll call him Savior. He will save. How? He will give his life. And so it's not a surprise. And hopefully... We'll enjoy hearing and Handel's Messiah with that wonderful crescendo of the glory of heaven. Hallelujah. King of kings. Lord of lords. To us a child is born. And in Isaiah 53, you get this picture of the suffering servant. Same in Isaiah 42. What's it like? Despised, rejected by men as, as today Man of sorrows. Familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces. He was pierced for our transgressions. Crushed for our iniquities. So you move on. From the cradle. To the cross. Take Jesus out of Christmas. And it's a mess, isn't it? It's nothing. Christmas. But this prophecy doesn't make sense until you put him back where he belongs. He's the missing piece in the jigsaw. For those of us who who know a little of of our our Bibles will remember that after Pentecost, various people from many parts of the world came. uh, uh, Before Pentecost, people came for the festival of harvest. Pentecost, it was called. And one was a, what's called a proselyte. He was half Jew, half Gentile, African, Jewish, and was reading some of these servant prophecies and didn't, couldn't make sense of them, didn't understand them. Philip, his name. Philip is the evangelist and the eunuch who, we haven't got his name other than he was a visitor. And the Spirit says to Philip, he, he's been to uh, hear Peter preaching. He's heard about repentance and faith and the glory of heaven. And he's very impressed, but no change. He's going home. And he thought, I should really read about this. So he takes up these prophecies, one I've read to you and others, and he's reading. And this is what he's reading. And um, he's, uh, Philip says to him, do you understand that? Not in a patronizing way, just coming alongside him. And he says, how can I? Unless someone explains it to me. So he invites Philip to come up onto his, his chariot. And there they are. And he was reading this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter as a lamb before the shearer is silent. doesn't open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who could speak of his descendants? His life was taken from the earth. The eunuch says to Philip, tell me, please, just tell me one thing. Who is the prophet talking about? If it's himself, what does it mean? If it's somebody else, who is it? If somebody asked you that question, what would you say? Well, this is Philip's answer. Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. That's what it's about. The the cradle is meaningless without Jesus. The cross is a tragedy without Jesus. Jesus dying in our place, paying the price that we could not pay. You see, the cross is not only the great escape, it is that, but it's also the great encounter. Look how personal this is. Come back to our reading if you still have it there. And look, look at this an, a, a picture. He is going to come and he's going to open the eyes of the blind, the spiritually blind, as well as perhaps the literal. Free captives from prison and release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I'm the Lord. It's my name. It's what I do. It's what I am. That's it. It's really quite not complicated at all, is it? Uh, the third C, moving on c- quicker, the crown. Look, the crown of glory and staying in Isaiah. I'm the Lord. It's my name and my glory. I won't give to another. He wouldn't sacrifice that. He wouldn't compromise that. If we stand offish and proud, okay, we miss out on the glory. Jesus conquered death. That's the wonder of the cross. And Jesus is the living Lord. And he comes among his people by his spirit through his word. Okay, let's ask a question. What is dying? Uh, Bishop Brent is very helpful. He gives a picture. Sometimes a picture is better than words, isn't it? Here's this picture. What is dying? I'm standing on the seashore and a ship sails on the morning breeze and it starts out to the ocean. She is an object of sheer beauty. And I stand watching her until at last she fades on the horizon. And someone at my side says, she's gone. Gone where? Gone out of my sight, that is all. The diminished size and the total loss of sight is in me, not in her. And just at that moment, when someone at my side says, she is gone, there is another watching and says, she is coming. And takes up the glad shout, here she comes. Now you have to answer the question, really, that if you think this is it, well, okay. Or you may say, I'm not sure. Well, then don't speculate. Be sure. In the cradle, there is grace. And in the cross, there is forgiveness. And everybody needs forgiveness. And in the crown, there is a future hope. And the last see. well, that's up to us, isn't it? It's our choice. The language of The prophecies of Old Testament. Choose you this day whom you will serve, whom you will follow, whom you will trust. As for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord as best I can. It's a choice. And this Christmas, I challenge all of us don't be a spectator looking in, be a participator, involved in the drama, receiving and sharing. It's about Jesus. It's about him. Not really about us at all, other than what he gives and what he does. Here is my servant whom I love. Come to him. Listen to him. Your life depends on it. Here and in the future.